In your name we pray, amen. Well, you can grab your Bible if you got it along, or grab out your phone and open the app, whatever you got. Uh, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 17. And before we get there, we're going to think about uh, perhaps this really familiar story in Scripture. Perhaps it's familiar to you. Perhaps even if you didn't read the Bible, you've heard of this story. Often, David and Goliath is even used in leadership books to try to give encouragement, to, to challenge people, to, to overcome big obstacles that are in their way. Just like David had the courage to face Goliath, you too can face the giants in your life. I could think that we have giant worries, perhaps, right now. We have giant hurdles, giant barriers. That is not where we're going today. <laughs> Oftentimes, what we like to do is we like to make the story of David and Goliath about us instead of making it about God. We want to talk about how we can overcome giants. We want to be encouraged to do so, and oftentimes we think about our own strength, our own ability. So instead of doing that, we're going to look at this story in light of all of Scripture that we've been going through so far. And if, if you haven't been with us, that's okay. I'm going to try to give a slim recap right now. In July, we started this sermon series, and we started in the book of Genesis. The idea we were going to go through all of Scripture at once, largely missing sections, skipping over sections. But we were following the Jesus Storybook Bible, which Mindy read this morning. And the big picture of it all we can say in one kind of sentence, God is redeeming his people, making them new all by his grace and for his glory. And so we begin, we began in, in Genesis, and God created the earth. He created all the things in the earth to be reflective of his glory. He made things in the image of himself. And that, that creation stepped into sin, turning their back on God. But even a few pages into Scripture, God didn't say, well, i got to start over. Instead, no, he said, I will send a Savior. I will continue to pursue you. And so he he. He called out one person in whom he was going to bless the nations. And, and that man struggled himself to follow God at certain times, but he trusted him and was even willing to offer his own son. The, thing, the son that, that God had promised. And, and through this son who eventually lived that God provided a substitute for, a goat, they would go on to develop into this larger nation, Israel, who would, would go and bless the world. But then they too would be stuck in, in Egypt as slaves. But then God would liberate them from that slavery. And then they were on the precipice of getting into the, the, the Holy Land, or the land that God had promised them. And they didn't have faith because of the giants in the land. And so they wandered until everyone trusted in the Lord and they entered the land and conquered the land in God's 
way. It always seems that those people want to go back to the way that they desire it. And so they wanted a king, and so they got this king. And last week, uh, Lynette took us to, to learn about that king and how, how though people may look on the outside and see what is on the outside, Saul, he was good-looking guy, he was tall, but God is looking in the heart. And God always is looking inside of you, inside of me, wanting to redeem us and have us follow his way. That's what the story of Scripture is, him constantly pursuing us. And so we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We'll read just the first verse here. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephestamon where Soka and uh, between Soka and Ezekah. And then I'm actually going to continue reading on. I don't think it's actually going to be on the screen. Saul and the Israelites assembled camp in the valley of Elah and they drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So what we see here is a picture where you have the Philistines on one mountain. Israelites on the other mountain, and there is this valley in between. I just thought that was interesting because the song we sang earlier is, even in the valley, you are faithful. That's a freebie for this morning. But this is not the first time that the Israelites have met the Philistines. If you go back several chapters to chapter 4, the Israelites are meeting the Philistines in battle. And when the Israelites do, they go out and and they attempt to battle the Philistines and 4,000 men die. And Israel then wonders, why is it that the Lord did not let us prevail? Why is it that the Lord uh, didn't help us win this battle? And so someone has this idea. uh, Is this where I want to be? Yes. Uh, And when people came to the camp, the elders said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? And then someone had a bright idea. And you'll notice this is going to be in the ESV, not the NIV, and it makes a specific distinction that I'll make note of right here in the second half of this passage. It says, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So the focus is the Ark, right? of the Lord from, from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. The focus was the, the Ark of the Covenant, that it, not the Lord. So there's a distinction. The NIV, it says that he would save us. But uh, in Greek, you can actually have the word he also mean it, and so it's the translator's responsibility to, to really understand what the focus is. And I think here, it's actually saying that their trust wasn't in God, but it was in the thing. If we bring this thing out to battle with us, then we will win. Let us bring the ark with us. And, and what happens is, is they bring the ark out in faith in it, and 30,000 people die. And not only do 30,000 people die, but the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines 
back to their cities. And it's actually, the Ark of the Covenant is then put in the temple of Dagon, the Philistines' God, kind of a showing of our God is better than your God. But what happens here is the Lord does not stand by idly. The Lord is actually going to show His might on His own, not using, using an army or anything. So what happens in 1 Samuel 5, verse 3, when all the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, so this is Ashdod, the city where the temple of Dagon is, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. <laughs> well, you can't have your God face down. So they went and they put their God, this big stone uh, monument, back up in its place. But the following morning, when they rose, there was Dagon fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. But that's not end. That's not the end. His head and his hands had been broken off and were laying on the threshold. Only his body remained. There you have it. The God of the Philistines decapitated before the Lord by the Lord, by His power and by His might. And so the people of the Philistines start to be fearful. They had once been fearful of the ark of the Lord when it was coming out into battle, but they weren't anymore. And then now they're fearful again because they, the ark of the Lord just decapitated their God of you know, uh, the monument. And so they take it and they move it to a different city. Well, we don't want it here. We'll move it to the other city. Well, what happens is those people in that city start getting boils and start getting sick. And so then they move it to another city and then those people get sick and they're like, okay, we got to get rid of this thing. For this God is, is more powerful than we perhaps imagined. And so they said, well, here's what we'll do. We'll take, uh, we'll take, we'll take the Ark of the Lord. We'll put it on a cart and we're going to put some horses, or I mean some, some cattle that have, have never really pulled before. They, they haven't been trained to plow. It's like, yeah, we're going to put some milking cows and hook it up to this, this uh, cart. And if it goes back exactly to Israel, we'll know that it's their God at work. And what happens is these milking cows, these cows that are not used to pulling turn directly towards where Israel is and walk straight there without turning to the right or to the left. Though the people of Israel had perhaps placed their trust in the ark of the Lord rather than God, it was the Philistines who were really finding out who God was and how powerful He was. And when the ark returns, Samuel calls his people to be faithful to God, to turn away from their idols, but to, to trust in Him alone. And sadly, as the story of Israel goes, often their trust then starts with something else. And that's why we, had, we went to chapter 16 last week and we saw Israel's trust being put on a king rather than on God. So we're going to return now back with that in mind. I want, that, I want you to keep that in your back of your mind. The, the, the head of the God of Dagon, the Philistines' God, decapitated. 
I want you to keep in mind that God doesn't look at the outside of an individual, but He looks at the inside of the individual. He looks at the, the heart. What you can see on the outside might look great, but what you have to remember is the Lord looks inside. All right, so we're going to go to 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 4. Now the Philistines, oh, not there, not there, here we go. A champion named Goliath, who was with, uh, with them from Gath, came out to the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. Okay. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer, he had someone to carry his shield, was ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the other Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Goliath, a champion, actually the only time that word is used in the Old Testament. A champion. Literally, a man between two armies, right? He stood down in the valley. He was a man between two armies. He was nine feet tall. His, his armor alone weighed probably about as much as an Israelite. He had a spear that was so enormous, it was considered a, a weaver's rod or beam is another translation for that word. The spearhead alone weighed 15 pounds. I don't know how many of you split wood. I know we, we've been talking about this at Cadets. Right, different types of axes and splitting malls and so on. And if you've ever tried to, to use like a six-pound or an eight-pound splitting mall for a while, it is taxing. And here this man, this champion, Goliath, has a 15-pound spear. He is no small man. And from the outside, looking at the outside, the exterior of this individual, it would seem that he is an invincible person, an invincible character, and you would expect the Israelites to see the exact same thing. And that's what we read in verse 11 on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Israel sees the same thing and operates out of fear. The people become terrified. 
wasn't the first time that Israel had been terrified of, of tall people, of, of large people. Back when they were wandering the desert I alluded to earlier, they sent out the, the 12 people to check out this promised land that God was, was going to bring them to, and they said, man, the cities are fortified and the people are huge. And 10 out of 12 of those people came back and said, we probably can't do that. They stand in fear. And then the, the story that we just read this morning of, of Goliath coming out and challenging takes a turn because we come out and we see a boy in a field. The story turns and focuses in on David as he's tending for the sheep while his brothers were, were off to war. And, and his dad says, hey, why don't you go down and check on your brothers? It's only a small 15-mile journey for you to go. And, and so David runs in the morning, uh, half, mi- half marathon maybe, right? A little over that, to, to get to go check in on his brothers. He, he gets there. And, 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 well, actually, before he got there, his dad said, make sure to bring me back a souvenir. Bring me back something that shows that your brothers are well. That's what that was. And so he goes on this journey, and he gets there in this this man comes out once again, this Philistine man, this man from Gath. And his voice rings out through a thousand-person encampment, challenging the Israelites again as he has done day after day after day with a voice, with a voice that is so booming that only the people that are right in his near area heard But everyone heard in that whole encampment him yelling. Just think about it. Here's David in the encampment checking on his brothers and he hears this booming voice as if a loudspeaker is going through. And perhaps this is the first time that David hears the name of their own God being ridiculed the name of their own God being used in a way that they wouldn't use it. That the name of God would be blasphemed in the people of Israel as well. And David wonders, how are you even letting this person do that? How are you letting this person talk about our God in this manner? And and it really comes down to a matter of perspective. David, he probably had no idea who Goliath was and who, what he looked like or anything like that, but he did know who his own God is. And he knew that his God is greater than any warrior, any champion, any army, because he'd seen his God work that way in the past, and he wasn't about to let some Philistine, as he calls him, have the last word. And so this starts making its way through camp because his brothers are like, just go back to the field and and be quiet. You don't know what you're doing. And so David goes on to talk to some other people, and some other people hear about what David is talking about, that, that their God is great and they can't let this man talk this way about their God. And, and then Saul finally hears about it and there ends up being this, 
this meeting This meeting between the, tr the king, the king that was in place, and the king who was to come. That's what this last week that we, we looked at was, was all about. It was how David was chosen among Jesse's children to be the next king. So let's see this conversation that David has with Saul. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a young man. He has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by its hair, and I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go. The Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and, and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. After the name of God is ridiculed day after day, Saul the one who's standing head and shoulders over every other Israelite, the one who should be doing something about the problem, the one who should be challenging Goliath to battle, is not. He was looking at the outside, not recognizing what his own God could do, but uh, but David himself was not thinking about Goliath's strength. Instead, he was thinking about what the Lord has done in his life, how the Lord is faithful, and how the Lord will get him through everything that comes in his way. Your perspective changes when you stop thinking about your own power, your own ability, and instead learn to rely on God in his limitless power. David has boldness in front of Saul. This Philistine will just be like a lion or a bear that I killed. He's no different. And, and, and Saul's still looking at it from the outside. He says, but you're, you're just a boy. This guy's been a warrior since his youth. You stand no chance. But somehow Saul says, okay, go, go do it, and tries to put on armor onto David. And in the end, David says no. David rejects Saul's armor, and in essence, he rejects the way that Saul is king, and instead he will take on a different way in the future of being king. And the story continues. 
Then he took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, I am a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day... I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the, Lord, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. The Lord is not saving with the sword and the spear. David just slings a stone and Goliath is taken down. You know, it's interesting that if you look through the, the laws earlier on in Scripture, the Levitical laws, anyone know what the punishment for blaspheming God is? Stoning. So, Goliath, who is blaspheming God and, and blaspheming the armies of the Lord, is stoned to death. And then he's finished off with his own sword, decapitated. Within a matter of chapters, you have the Philistine God who they saw as so powerful and them putting the Israelite God in front of them is decapitated before the Lord, by the Lord. And a few chapters later now, the champion, the one who no one was ever able to battle uh, or best in battle is now laying on the ground decapitated by the Lord Almighty. Dagon and Goliath. The Philistine God, the Philistine champion are no match for God. No match 
for God. God's power is so much more than what we could imagine, and trusting in that is the only way that David was able to succeed in battle. It was not by his own strength. It was not by his own sword. It was not by his own abilities, but it was by the Lord's empowerment. It was by the Lord who was moving to save. Something that's often so familiar in Scripture where God moves to save His people not by sword and not by javelin. And we can put this into context even further in the story of God when we, when we look ahead to Christ. There is a greater battle that will be waged, a, a battle of the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness controlled by a champion, perhaps we could say. Controlled by the adversary, Satan. And as much as that champion wants to, to, to cause us to to look past God's might, to cause us to look past God's glory, to cause us to do what we desire, to put ourselves in, in a position to do what we want to do, perhaps to, to put us in a position where we blaspheme God, where we, we walk away from God, where we would, would not pay attention to Him. God was not satisfied by, by letting this adversary do that. So instead, we, we would have someone else who would come and be exalted as king, someone too who would come from the same town as David. He would come from, from Bethlehem. And he would, he would run towards, or perhaps we would say, walk towards a journey where he himself would face death. This improbable champion who died on the cross would rise from the dead, defeating our two biggest enemies in the world, the enemy of sin and the enemy of death. This is a story that's more than just being about being brave and facing the giants in your life. Instead, it's a story of God, of trust in God who has immeasurable power, a trust in God who has unending love, a trust in God who will get you through improbable and impossible challenges that lie in your way. It's a story about a God who wants you to live. He wants you to be saved not by your might, not by your strength, not by your sword, not by your javelin, but by your faith and your trust in Him, knowing that He will do all He can to get you through those challenges. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have challenges. They'll come in our life. And sometimes all of our challenges will not always go away. But I wonder if we could somehow take on the mindset that David had. David wanted God to be glorified by anything that would happen in that battle. How is it that we can go up against those challenges, trusting in the Lord that that he'll see us through whatever he brings in our way, uh, but even when we continue to struggle in the midst of the difficulties and the giant circumstances and the giant pandemic and, and the things that seem so insurmountable, how can we go through that together and desire God's name to be glorified in that process? That he would become so great and he would become so honored even in the struggle that we experience. And that's, I think, the difficulty of this story. Because it's easy for us to say, I trust in God, and I trust, and I know you're powerful, and I know you want to save, and I know you'll see me through this. But it's harder, perhaps, than in the midst of pain to say, I love God, and I want him to be glorified more than my health. It's hard to say, I love God and I want Him to be glorified even though I'm going through financial trouble. I love God and I want Him to be glorified even though I have experienced disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I love God more than anything else that can come in my way. That's when it becomes hard. But even in the midst of that, it's what we're called to do. To desire God to be glorified, even in the midst of challenges. And the reason we can say that God can be glorified in the midst of that is because over and over, time after time, we've seen so far through Scripture that it's the Lord who saves. Not us. And there's nothing greater, nothing better than us knowing that it's the Lord who truly saves. Just like David did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that this story is more than just about facing giants and having courage. We thank you that this is a story about you who saves, not by javelin or spear, but in other ways. We thank you most of all for Christ by whom you saved us from sin and from death, just by having faith and trust in you, even in the midst of difficulty of circumstance. And so we pray your Spirit would embolden us 
Give us faith when we don't feel like we have any. Help us to to trust when we don't think we could do that either. Empower us each and every day with what we need to get through each and every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time I invite the worship.